Welcome to the Arena Deckless Podcast. I'm Jerry Thompson, joined as always by Brian Gottlieb, although I feel like I have to admit that you're taking a week off in a couple weeks, yeah? A couple weeks, yeah. I, I really am not living up to my billing that you have given me for a very long time now. But uh, yeah, I'm you had be, a good streak. You had I a did. good streak. I did. I'm going to be out in the wilderness, so it is actually impossible. I'm going to be camping, so it's impossible for me to do the podcast. Otherwise, you know, I would make it work. I always, I always try and find a way, but this one, there's just no way around it. We've we've had enough bootleg setups in hotel rooms, yes, and like basements and stuff when we're traveling. So yeah, uh, for folks who are not aware, we definitely both try and be here every week. But yeah, I, I remember one particular episode I recorded with like a wall of paper towels in my still vacant house just to try and get it. So it wasn't because it was just like cavernous and echoey. So I just yelled into some paper towels to try and make it even palatable and listenable. And I don't know if I actually succeeded, but I've gone through some extreme measures to make it work. Well, we do our best. And this week is another instance of us attempting to do our best because Historic Horizons was supposed to come out today, but apparently Arena had some back-end issues that they're trying to get fixed or work on. We don't know exactly what that is or what it entails, but in a couple of weeks, I think we're going to get that set finally. And uh, it's mostly never-ending preview season, except for this week specifically, I think. <laughs> so Yeah, for some reason, no new Innistrad cards coming down the pipe after that uh, exciting first burst we had last week. It was funny, too. We were actually planning this show uh, we were we were chatting with each other and being divvying up responsibilities. I was going to test the the creature combo stuff, particularly uh, Vesper Lark combo. See if there's anything there. You were going to get cracking on Dragon's Rage Channeler. And while we were having this conversation and planning this out, I found the tweet that they were just like, "Yeah, it's not happening." <laughs> well, which is good. I mean, sure. I, I, if it's not ready, it's not ready. I, I certainly will take a delay. Um, you know, you could make a case that don't have your release date cemented until you know you're going to be ready to go. That's that's hard, though, right? When you're talking about uh, like programming a digital product, especially with a bunch of new cards and stuff like that. It's like you don't know until it's actually ready to ship and it might not actually be ready to ship until pretty close to the due date. It's interesting. I mean, I, I don't recall this ever happening exactly before. Like this is a pretty substantial delay. I don't recall this ever happening on magic online i could be wrong about that i mean granted like the whole program was shut down for a period of time so it, it's had its downs for sure but i don't remember one set in particular getting pushed back it, things like hearthstone i don't really know about this happening so it, i think in general this space does a good job of metting out these releases and getting them to go at the right time yeah but you think about video games and how many times video they announce very release dates, yes. like cyberpunk for example and then yeah. Finally, they're like, okay, we actually have to hit this release date and they ship it with a bunch of bugs, yes. right? And th that has certainly happened with Magic Online as well. That's so, true. That's true. And it's led to a bad experience. And I, I know we've had arena releases where like the first day is non-functional and you just can't log in or whatever. So Yeah, but that's that's more of like a server load thing, I would imagine, more than... Maybe. Uh, I'm, I'm not even going to guess how that works. I, I, yeah, me either. I, I don't know anything. So yeah. regardless, uh, you know, we'll get to that when we get to it. Uh, maybe I don't even know when preview season ends for Midnight Hunts, but hopefully they line up well. Where it's like the preview season ends, we can do our top ten next week, do Historic Horizons. If not, I don't know. Maybe we'll lag behind on like Historic Horizons for a week or something. I I think so. If that's what we have to do, it's it's weird. I feel the excitement kind of being let out of the 
the room a little bit with this delay. I, I think people are starting to get hyped and it'll be interesting to see how this affects the release and how hard people go uh, when it does finally hit. Yeah, I guess it's weird because in theory, it should move those two release dates closer together as well. That's true. That's true. Less standalone time. Yep. Anyway, uh, this week we we could have talked about modern, I suppose. I kind of I kind of suggested that, but and Brian, I, bully, I bullied you instead into doing this show. I'm getting bullied all over the place this week, man. It's it, it's not cool, but it's OK. I'm alive. Uh, yeah, you're like AMA episode. It's everyone's favorite thing um, to do this thing that basically only explicitly exists for when you have a down week, which we do. So I guess it works out. Yeah, we just don't have many anymore. It just feels like it's been a long time since we did this. I know people get excited about it uh, and I enjoy it. I mean, it's, you know, I love coming here and talking about magic, but it's also cool to get to touch on other stuff from time to time. Uh, I just don't ever want to do it at the expense of things going on in the magic sphere, but things are going to be slow. I say we take advantage of it. And uh, our, our patrons brought us a bunch of questions for this week and a bunch of good questions. So I'm excited for it. I gave them all like a, a once over. But I don't really remember what any of them were. All right. Nor did I have any pre-prepared answers. I know that there were, there were some that's like, you know, invent a card or whatever. And it's, I'm probably going to struggle with those because I didn't actually think that hard on them. So. Right. I, I usually just skip those and get some non-committal answer off my tongue. And that that is usually enough to placate them. That's not something I think you do on the fly on a podcast. Like it requires more intense thought and a little bit more... Uh, finesse i would say than just ripping it off the top of the head at least for yeah. me at least no, for me. i i agree that's why i feel like i should have done maybe a little bit more homework and research but i was dealing with some other nonsense look i didn't do my homework in school um, i'm not going to do it for the podcast let's be serious Un- unless you're doing it otherwise right like it's just playing magic playing magic is fun uh y- usually yes but that i do some work i do remember a class in college where i was assigned to play the sims and like write about it and at that point in time, I was already playing The Sims and I stopped once I got the assignment because I don't want to do it anymore. So if you if you tell me to do something, I might just rebel out of principle. You never who, know. who is more contrarian, you or Todd Anderson? I, I'm not sure. It would be a close battle. OK, uh, so we we're, we're trying out this new threads thing in Discord and it kind of worked and it kind of didn't. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah, I guess we are going to start with Sean Hunter's question. That works. Ye old Baron of Bacon. And Sean wants to know if we have a favorite or most memorable interaction with a fan of the podcast. Do you remember, Sean? I, I've spoken with Sean a bunch of times uh, on the Discord. I don't remember an in-person interaction, though, with Sean. So, uh, yes, I mean, same. Uh, I, I know him from like the Discord and, and Twitter and stuff like that. And... He's the one when we, we used to do like the question of the week type of stuff. Mm, his girlfriend all, would always ask this question. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yes. So it's it's funny to me that Sean is asking this question because honestly, the first thing that came to mind was like his questions or like rather his girlfriend's questions. Sure. Yeah, I remember that well. But I mean, other than the strictly digital only stuff, uh, the the thing that I really want to happen again is like, the PT, I think it was in Richmond where yeah. we like got the house and everything. Yeah, this is my answer too. Yeah, uh, I, I need more of those things to happen badly. And now I have a house in Richmond. 
Yeah, you're already ahead of the game, but that was uh, a very good weekend with multiple. I I mean, I don't even want to call them fans of the podcast friends. No, no. I mean, friends that we got to know basically through the podcast and our discord. Exactly. Um, But yeah, got to share a house in Richmond together. There were there were cute dogs that lived next door. Uh, You know, it was like it it was Jake's first pro tour. He was really excited. It was cool to get to see him do that. Uh, uh, What else happened? Jacob top aided a uh, PTQ <laughs> after I bullied him into playing after you bullied him. And then uh, one of the cool things that like, and this is the last time I got to do this is that we were able to go back to the house and everyone worked out his top eight matchup because we knew he was playing against Michael Rapp, uh, Death Shadow, Aficionado. Jacob was playing Infect, and we worked really hard to like try and make that matchup tenable. It's not a great matchup from the Infect side. It's hard. And we found a really good sideboard plan and Jacob won his top eight match against Shadow. I don't know how much like the sideboarding played into that, but still it felt good to like contribute and have him, you know, have a little bit of accomplishment on the back of everyone working together. That's always the best part of magic. Yeah, for sure. And Austin Cook was hiding Niv Magus Elementals in your case and covered in Niv Magus Elementals. Yes. But uh, it's just things like like just general camaraderie, helping each other out and getting to know people and make friends through doing this has, has always been the best part of this podcast for sure. Crockett 07, what digital dis- design space would you like to see utilized in arena? Either examples from other digital card games or some ideas of your own. Yeah. This is an example of this question where I'm like, eh, this, this is tough. Uh, the, the first thing that popped to mind though, and this is a very surface answer and not really delving into specifics, but I, I like the idea of if if we're doing this digital mechanic thing, which I don't like, but if, if we are doing it and you want my opinion on a good way to do it, I, I like creatures that just straight up become something else. And I don't mean like that you add a counter to them and they get death touch or, you know, they get they become a five five. I, I want them to actually transform into a different type of creature or, you know, become uh, a planeswalker. Obviously, we do this to some extent with flip cards, but actually replacing the thing and having some cool animation of the transformation that's the type of digital flow i'm looking for and mechanically it's very similar to things that exist but you can really do something different with the feel of it i think right because in theory you could make like a a try card or whatever sure it could become a random thing and you know that's probably not playable at that point but it's interesting yeah i mean you could certainly narrow the scope of what random means in that context, right? Yep, you make like six different things or whatever. I mean, like level up kind of does this too, but again, it's narrowed in scope by the text box. Yep. So I, I see where you're getting at. Uh, I don't really have a good answer for this because I think my real answer is they should not do it with magic, but I would like to see wizards try incorporating that into a different game with like a different rules engine in a digital okay. space. So right. some something a little simplified, maybe, or maybe, I mean, like basically if they wanted to take their crack at Hearthstone or something like that, I think yeah. that they could do it very easily. And there's uh, a lot of things that you could do with Hearthstone and like, you know, Shadowverse is another sort of iteration of this where it's like, you know, you get a mana every turn, you cap it 10 mana and uh, Elder Scrolls Legends had a cap at 15, but you could like ramp over that or whatever. Yep. yep. And there's there's stuff like that where like even just like getting one mana a turn doesn't necessarily have to be the default. Right. Yeah. And so there's like a lot of stuff that I think that Wizards is very good at doing from a game design element where they could iterate on 
things like that that seem kind of like stuck as far as in the digital only space and like try and find a way to refine it. Here's here's one for you. I've actually worked on designing a game like this before. I've always been fascinated by a two player draft format where each is card it, is this only because of the tubert no but i, I do like the tubert quite a bit uh, my my trying to get this work predates the tubert but basically a face-up drafting game where each card represents two things and one is beneficial towards one plan and one is beneficial to the other plan so like in the magic context, a little bit harder to make this work, but essentially like one player is on offense, one player is on defense and there's offensive and defensive cards combined in the same space. And you're drafting both against your opponent and with your opponent at the same time. Uh, that's always been an interesting push pull. And I wonder if there's something digital you could do with that with like literally a heads up draft. Yeah. Uh, you know, maybe you have to commit to colors or something and I, I would have to think more about it, but there's, there's something there. There's definitely a lot of stuff in magic or even in the digital spaces where it's like, I want to hang out with my friends and play a game with them. But, you know, like I have a modern deck and they don't or like they don't play modern or draft requires eight players or whatever. There's just like so many hurdles to just like I want to sit down and play with like my friend or my partner or my roommate, whatever. And yeah, I I think a, a lot of games could benefit from trying to make formats like that. And that's, but that's exactly why, like, the Tubert has been so interesting to me, and why I think Ryan Overturf deserves so much credit for finding a really good system, yeah, to do that with. Because I've tried my whole life to really make this system work, and you know, have some way to just draft with my brother. Usually, is the person I'm playing with, and his system is good. And it not only is a good system. If, if you don't know, just go to like, go Google it. Uh, Ryan Overturf Tubert and the articles. His initial article introducing it is up in Star City. He's done a bunch of other Tuberts. Um, but the best part of his system is that it allows you to make mediocre cards playable. And that, that is something I've never found before. Cause I've tried to go back to playing 1995, 96 magic dozens of times, you know, playing old PT decks, old whatever decks. It's not fun, but it doesn't feel good. No, it, it's not fun at all. This was fun. This legitimately worked and I was able to craft an environment where games played out in an interesting way drafts were interesting now it might have a limited shelf life that's fine though i don't need this to last forever just some way to engage with these cards that i haven't been able to before uh it, it, it's just a really awesome way to approach heads up gaming that he discovered i think yeah well that's the thing is that it might it might be like a standard format between you and your brother where you know you play it for six months 12 months whatever right. eventually it gets stale yep you can also build different versions of this. Like you could do the smaller, uh, you know, you, you just did like alliances or alliances era, right? Yeah. B- basically, uh, 1996 was the era okay. I hit. So it's uh, fourth edition through alliances. Yeah. So, I mean, you could, you could broaden the scope of that. You could make like an all timer thing. Like there's so many yeah. different variations on the format that you could do to make it so it doesn't get stale. Yeah. And they're, they're just a lot of fun to build. So I, I definitely encourage everyone to check that out. Snook wants to know, what's your favorite type of pie? And I say yours because I don't eat pie. So clearly he was not asking me. Strawberry rhubarb. You, you don't eat any pies ever? Uh, I've, I've had like some apple pies. Apple pies is, you know, fine slash good. I don't know. I just, my, 
my grandparents would make them a lot when I was growing up. And I was always like, that doesn't look good to me. So I just never had them. What about like a savory pie, like a, a chicken pot pie or something like that? Does chicken pot pie count? Obviously, I've had like chicken pot pies. But yeah. Like, I, I mean, in, in a lot of non-America places, I think pies are almost always savory. So I, I think that's a totally reasonable answer. Yeah, but he also used like a cherry pie emoji or whatever. Well, that's so. the emoji that exists for pie. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I don't think that's but, a purposeful but choice. That's, that's indicative that they're not savory pies, right? <sighs> I guess so. Uh, yeah, no. I, I'm, I'm mostly out on pies, sorry. Okay. Squirrel Master, we know that Flashback is returning to IMH. What other Innistrad mechanic would you like to see return? Well, I'm going to have to think about the Innistrad mechanics for a second. So with uh, the, oh, Morbid, Morbid's pretty good with with the Eldrazi. Uh, it was something of Innistrad. What was the second one called? Shadows, Shadows over Innistrad. Yeah, Shadows over Innistrad. Investigate, right? Like that made sense. It's oh, like, oh, yeah. these these Eldrazi weirdness things are showing up and we're trying to figure out what's causing it. OK, flavorfully, that makes sense. If they if they brought Investigate back, I don't necessarily know that it would make sense with like what's going on in the plate now, just flavorfully. Right. But I do, I like that mechanic a lot. Um, oh, that's a good answer. Morbid is also a good one, but I feel like the the cards that they're on are just so tame. They were. They were the first go around for sure. So I don't, I don't know if there's like a way to, to juice that up or anything, but it was mostly like my card is unplayable unless I have a sacrifice outlet. Yeah, tra right? Tragic Slip was probably like the best of it, right? Uh, the Banshee too was a pretty big one where it's like, it's a five mana four, four, whatever, but it, it's still just like this thing. that's like so much better when you morbid right. and I don't know, like once you play it against your opponent, they're never going to let you get it. So it's kind of weird. Very true. Uh, JW MTG drip followed by three question marks. Jaren's got his brand, man. He's all about that drip. And, uh, you you know I'm on board with that. What have I been dripping with recently? I got some flesh and blood. <laughs> flesh and blood recently. <laughs> Don't worry, we'll talk more about that. Uh, that has been my recent drip. Actually, he he asked me this question the other day, and I sent him a picture of a, a flesh and blood pull I had just hit. But uh, my Urza sagas got here. My Dragon's Rage channelers. All these are foil. I mentioned a few weeks ago my favorite foil card I picked up recently, Japanese uh, Mystical Archive, Abundant Harvest. Beautiful magic card. Yes. Uh, Jay messaged me and was like, yo, get in on my thread. And I was like, my, my stuff doesn't compare to your man. You know, like, not, not just his, but like everyone who was responding to. Right. Everyone's like, yo, look at my, my Bentleys or whatever. And I'm just like, look at my Honda Focus or I don't know, Ford Focus. Yeah, see... I I think some people like the, the point isn't to drop a quarter million dollars worth of cards in the thread. Like that doesn't really do anything like that's just kind of uh, besides the point. So, Drip is about style. Uh, I don't. So like I have a bunch of Japanese cards, but I also have things that are like, well, I have three Japanese and one English and it's it's just kind of scuffed. Right. Mm. And it also doesn't mean anything because I could just go to Japan for a weekend and acquire all this stuff. Like it's, it's really not that hard or like go on Haruya, you know? So I don't know. Like, is, is it style to me? Like I like it. I enjoy it. I respect other people that do it, but at the same time, I feel like I'm not trying to like brag about my collection. So you're just trying to say there is no drip. Like drip is just a uh, function of the imagination. No, because I think that the things that people are showing are like ridiculously cool in a lot of instances, but my stuff to me does not feel cool. 
I don't know. It's it's all just like not not, not to the point where I'm going to brag about it. It's all just there. Like it's all stuff you can get if you want to spend the money on it. Like sure. how uh, I, I think drip is more about like an aesthetic and uh, a flow and a commitment to things more than like these are the dollars invested in magic cards. So imagine decks that Jerry plays. And okay. now imagine that like 70% of those decks are in Japanese cards. That's my drip. Yeah. Okay. That, that works for me. That's all I got. And also, also whenever I play in a tournament with Japanese cards, I inevitably feel like an asshole at some point because someone <laughs> doesn't know what one of my stupid cards does. Yeah, I've been there. RH Will, what type of things would you like to see out of your local slash regional events that aren't typical? Masks. Well, yes. <laughs> that's, that's the big answer right now. Um, no, I, I don't know. Uh, uh, you know what I heard about the other day? I don't know if I actually want to see this, but I, I someone mentioned this in our Discord. And I thought is, it was very cool. Is this cool. good or depressing? No, this is good. Okay. Well, yeah, I think it's good. There was a Team Trios tournament, and the format was uh, Magic, Pokemon, Yu-Gi-Oh. <laughs> I thought that was really cool. I, I mean, I don't know if you're ever going to do that on a large scale or if there's going to be a lot of that. Um, but I, I've never heard of that happening before. And I thought it was a pretty neat idea. That is cool as hell. It's, it's weird to me because I don't think I've ever really been in a community and I've, I've traveled a bunch. I have like friends in a bunch of major cities. I would like go stay at their place for a week, go to the local game store or whatever. So I, I've seen a bunch of these local communities, right? And it never really seemed to me like, the various card game communities were intermingling. No, unless, they're, they're not, but they would be dope if they had a reason to, right? I know, which is kind of what I was getting at, where it's like, yeah. unless someone played like two games or three games and was a big part of all of them. Like, I'm sure like a lot of the Yu-Gi-Oh people have tried magic and a lot of magic people have like grown up on Yu-Gi-Oh or Pokemon. Like all of those things are intertwined to some degree, but it's never like I play magic full time and I play Yu-Gi-Oh full time and I play Pokemon full time. You know, like that just doesn't happen. Right. So, yeah. I would like to hear some of the stories of how these teams came together or if it was just like, well, we have, you know, a magic person, a person who plays magic and Pokemon. And then like this dude had to learn Yu-Gi-Oh or whatever. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, I imagine you're like trying to pick up ringers, but uh, I don't know. It, it would be fun if you had a, a really, really robust community, a really robust game store uh, with like good traffic. You know, it would work somewhere like. Mox comes to mind in Bellevue would have been perfect for this type of thing where there's just so many gaming communities present there. Uh, it would have been a cool way to just cross them over a little bit. I So we talked about shared experience a ton, right? Mm -hmm. And shared experience for a lot of people on the local level, and I, I guess this mentions regional too, so maybe I can get into that in a bit, but as far as like local level, it's mostly the shared experience of the people within a certain game store. Right. Yeah. And it's not necessarily like, oh, our city has four game stores that all run various types of tournaments. And like maybe you pop into the other one if they have an event you like or whatever. and You try and bring some of your friends. But it's mostly like a lot of these stores are competing against each other. And I don't think that that necessarily has to be the case a lot of the time. Mm -hmm. Because instead of doing like, oh, well, this our rival store is running like a 1k on Saturday. We have to run a 2k or something, you know, it's just like, no, run yours on Sunday and like cross advertise. Right. Right. Like I would like to see more of that happening. Like, I mean, I get it. It's like, there's not necessarily a ton of money up for grabs, especially within the enfranchised, you know, TCG community or whatever. So 
you want the players to buy the singles and all the stuff from your store. If you encourage them to go to another store, you run the risk of like them taking their business over there, whatever. Right. But realistically, I don't think that that's the case. No, the 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 teamwork always works out long term. I mean, obviously, there's a point where like you're cutting up the buffalo too many ways, but to some extent, I I think there's always space for collaboration and and working with your your fellow game store owners or you know in our case fellow content creators all that stuff comes back around eventually yeah i have i have many thoughts on how to run a game store but we can get into that much much later okay uh as far as regional events i don't know i think it's more of the same though i do think that local tos could benefit from you know working together and maybe assuming like organized play doesn't come back there there would be a pretty sizable market for a regional, regional series. Yeah. Like regional TOs to do their own sort of series and yeah. cross promote and things like that. If they wanted to do that. Yeah. It seems like an opportunity, you know, something that just feels like the old PTQ scene is what we're all chasing. Like where you, or at least I knew everyone in the Northeast. I'm sure you knew everyone in the Midwest and same people all the time. And you build a community around that. And that is just sorely lacking. and has been for quite some time now. Yeah. And I, I would just like to see it be more of like, you know, I'm I am a magic player from the Midwest, not I am a magic player who only plays at Misty Mountain or whatever. Mm-hmm. And that was more of the type of things that I saw where it was like this, this you know, you go to PTQs, and it would be like Minnesota versus Wisconsin. Right. And there would be like a lot of trash talking, whatever. But like you distill it to a local level and it's like the the people who uh, i don't want to like single out any source or whatever but it's like the people who go to store a are like competing with the people who go to store b right and it's just like it's so weird to me where then you go to the ptqs and like now you're friends or whatever it's just like just be friends to begin with what the hell why is there always have to be some like stupid little competition about like whose store is better or like i don't know people just love that identity of like i play at this place and i would rather have it be like i am a magic player, you know, in this area. Right. And like, you can all kind of band together about that. Yeah. I, I mean, I think you're right. I think as you scale up, uh, those, those bonds get broader and broader. Right. And then you'd go to a PT and it would be, you know, like U S versus U S right. Europe maybe, or just like Germany versus France versus Spain. Yeah. There's, there's some of that going on. And I wouldn't say it was like a, a stark line and it certainly evolved and changed over time. But, uh, yeah, I, I think the bigger, the communities get the the better off everyone is. I'm I'm gonna butcher this next name. Give it a shot. Yua Hakala. That's what I would have went with. What has been the nicest thing you have seen this summer? This this is an incredibly broad question. The nicest thing I have seen. I haven't seen much outside of my four walls. So then your answer probably has to be cat based. I would assume cats are dope. Yeah. Nicest thing I have seen. Um, oh, was, so there was uh, a bird's nest right outside my upstairs bathroom window. I literally got to every time I, w- I went into the bathroom, brush my teeth in the morning, whatever. I look outside. I got to see these baby birds getting bigger and bigger. Got to see the two bigger birds taking care of them. And uh, eventually saw them when they left the nest. I mean, I actually saw them when they were like, okay, time to fly. And they, and they bounced. Um, so that was really cool. All right. Yours, yours kind of trumps mine. Cats are good too, though. I mean, 
cats are like indoor birds, basically. Yeah, they're they're not they're not trying to leave the nest though. That's true. <laughs> they they sort of rely leaving. on me for like food and shelter, so they're like, Give no, I'm I'm good here. Yeah, uh, me too. Craig Z, bit late, maybe off topic. Uh, what will it take to get Jerry into flesh and blood? Another question. What are your favorite MTG memories? Uh, I've been kind of like following the flesh and blood narrative. The the thing for me is that. I don't think events should be going on right now, certainly like very large ones. And the other thing is I've seen a lot of TCGs like come in, offer like a bunch of money to be like the new organized play thing or whatever, and then just be gone within two or three years. And I'm just kind of like waiting to see if I can get more information on that because I don't know, there's a lot of examples with like versus system, wow, TCG, et cetera that offered organized play, organized play only, and eventually died. There was no casual scene, no casual market, right? And I'm kind of concerned about it with this as well. Here's what I'll say. This game does some things differently than those games. Uh, I I have played many TCGs at this point. This is one of the better ones, for sure. one of the way better ones, I would say. I, th- I think it's a very interesting game. I think there's a lot of things it does right. There's some things that it does wrong, and I'm a little concerned about, especially in terms of longevity. But to your point, there's there's always this uncertainty around a new TCG because there's a there's kind of two sets of questions you have to answer. One is, do you have a baseline good game? Most TCGs fail that question. This one doesn't. Flesh and Blood is a very good game. Having played it a bunch now, I am very comfortable saying that. It, it's it's a good game. It's solid mechanics. Um, you know, when I didn't know much about it, I was just kind of like, I hear everyone talking about this and I don't actually know anyone who plays it. It feels sort of scammy and sort of collectory, and that's it. I don't think that's the case at all. I think it's a very solid game, a very well-designed game. But that's only step one. Step two is how are you going to manage your game once it becomes established? Because there's a lot of potential missteps that you have to avoid. You can push power creep too hard. You can push complexity too hard. You can only court a specific sector of the audience, like you're mentioning, where it only has this you know devout tournament support and you can't sell cards beyond that. Uh, you could reprint things into the ground. You could invalidate investments too rapidly. Power creep. All of these things have to be managed immaculately immaculately for this game to have long-term success so your trepidation i think is completely reasonable uh and you know i want to sort of wait like i I, i'm buying in i'm buying some cards i'm building some decks i am not 100 percent committed though and there's definitely some more expensive stuff that i'm going to wait on until there's some more certainty around how they're going to handle these issues but my initial impressions have been very good and i i think it's uh Something that the TCG space is lacking right now is that they are committed to this idea of a paper TCG and the tournament support behind it. And a lot of the technology sharing, learning, uh, finding information, it feels like older magic. And whether that's a long-term successful thing to do or not, it's scratching an itch for me right now. And I'm I'm very excited that I've had uh, it to spend some time on. But your complaints are all fair, and I'm not trying to 
say, no, you're an idiot, get involved in this. Um, it, it has some some questions it's going to have to answer before it finds long-term success. They're, they're not complaints, and I don't think that the game is bad. I haven't seen anything to that effect, like anything, right? And those those are all good things, but ultimately it's not the thing that I think is going to determine whether or not it, it is successful and continues on. Right. So, I don't know, I've tried a bunch of... TCGs in the past, some I've been more invested in than others, and basically the the only one that has stuck around has been Magic. Right. Uh, like you know, Shadowverse is still doing well as far as I know. Like they they are their client is still running and everything. Um, but they had some issues on the dev side of things that I didn't really like, so is why I dropped that. And I think Kaijudo is a big one for me that may have. I don't know, colored how I interact with things like this going forward, which I didn't even realize at the time, but like basically it's this, this game that is dual masters rebooted. Dual masters is still going in Japan. They released it a long time ago in the U S and then quickly shuttered it and then tried to rebrand and reboot it for whatever reason. I don't know the impetus behind that. And then when I started working on wizards, I was already kind of like entrenched in Kaijudo and they brought me on to work on uh, two of the sets and I think that I did pretty good work on those two sets. They got the game out of the red and into the black. And then despite that, the game was canceled. So even, even sometimes like that, where it's like, oh, we're like making money, but it's still just like, oh, we're going to stop doing it anyway. Right. And I, I might have one of the largest Kaijudo collections in the universe, right? Sure. And granted, like some of that was like free stuff from Wizards, whatever. And especially once the game went under, people were like, oh, I don't want this crap anymore. It's useless. But like if if people want to, you know, come to my house and jam Kaijudo with me, I will definitely do that. But it's it still like leaves a bad taste in my mouth, you know, where it's like, what does it take for another TCG to be successful, to have longevity? I don't want to get into something, invest a bunch of time, invest a decent amount of money. Obviously, you're getting some return with like enjoyment, entertainment, whatever. But it's just like, I want, I want something that's going to be here for a while. Right. So I don't think that there's anything wrong with waiting and seeing until I know if it's going to be here for a while. Yeah, fair enough. I, I mean, you don't have to be an early adopter of everything. And in fact, as I've gotten older, I've tried to back away from being the early adopter of these nascent things. And uh, just at, at this point in time, it's it's scratching a good itch for me. So I'm, I guess I'm not even an early adopter, right? The game's been around for two years now. I think you would have had to live in like New Zealand or Australia. I think so. Yeah. Yeah. That's where it's it very much got its foothold and it's where still the strongest competitive scene uh, is, is based out of. And, and I think that's really cool too. And it speaks to the idea of like focusing on your market first. I like, think, I think that was an incredible way to introduce the game is just like super small markets. See what happens. Right. right. I, I agree with you entirely. And it's it's mirrors magic introduction as well. I mean, it doesn't feel like it now, but magic when it first came out was very much isolated on the coasts. You right. know, it was in New York, LA, California. It was in New York, and that was it. It really wasn't anywhere else. Um, and you sort of built your own scene in those areas. And there's just so many feels. Like obviously the information thing isn't the same because the internet wasn't really a thing i mean it existed but it wasn't widely used at the time magic came around uh now we can certainly see all the cards there's meta games there's discussions like that so it's not going quite that far back what it actually feels like is like 
2007 2008 magic where the information is there and like you can still learn a lot by reading articles and the legitimate breakthroughs are happening in terms of how to approach the game and uh, i think it's really cool favorite magic memories i don't know man just like simple things good times with friends i i know that's a cop-out answer and you want something more specific than that but just the fact that i've gotten to go a bunch of places gotten to meet a bunch of people and uh you know expanded my social circle beyond what was really quite limited and expanded my worldview beyond a very limited worldview as well and getting to know people from all over the place i that's the thing i could just never replace about magic yeah i'm i'm pretty neutral across the board like you know, things happen and then I deal with them one way or the other, whether they're positive or negative. And I don't know, try not to like let myself get too excited or whatever. So it's just like, you know, even winning, winning a pro tour is like, you see me on camera. And it's like, I'm not smiling. And a lot of people gave me shit for that, <laughs> but it's like, I don't know. It's just, it's just how I am. So I'm, I'm kind of with you where it's, just like a lot of the small stuff makes me really happy. So like we, we talked about the Richmond PT thing. I don't, I don't know if I like played any events that weekend or whatever, but it was just like hanging out with people playing like random decks and random formats and just like talking, getting to know each other. It's like, that's not a thing. I think that a lot of people would be like, this is my favorite memory of all time. And it's like, you know, that's like top five for me. Yeah. I'm with you. Uh, one, two, three D any thoughts about doing a strictly memory-based recap of events? Those stories are often the most interesting and hearing you folks discuss your experiences at specific events or events you were both at would be sweet. I agree. I think that those things are really cool, uh, especially in the case of like the receivables where I was like around for a lot of that stuff and was at those events, interacted with the people that they're talking about, you know? I love that stuff personally. I'm not sure how much it matters if you're completely in the dark right it's like if if brian like narrated a flesh and blood tournament he went to to me like would that matter to me i don't know it probably would because it's it's mostly like the storyteller and the story you're telling probably but it it doesn't have that same amount of resonance i think so that's basically why i would shy away from making content like this like i just don't know how many people actually want it i agree with you uh i you know to the extent that that market exists Cedric and Patrick are doing a great job and I would rather let them run with it and and keep doing what they're doing. And also, I, I just don't have that kind of history that I can draw from. Like, I, I've been around the game. I've been following the game. I've been thinking about the game for a very long time. But as an active participant in all these GPs and PTs, I, I just don't have the that kind of volume to produce the type of stories that they do. So uh, maybe... Maybe in the future, we can look to just do a Nouveau tournament report where we're both at an event and we recap it. But then that assumes we would both play the event, which we probably won't. So not, I, not in this day and age. Yeah, I, I, I don't know. Like, I, I will consider it a new way to um, present information to our listeners in the future if we ever get back to playing tournaments again. But I, I really don't have anything to draw from, from the past that I think would be all that intriguing. I, I think the the era that I would want to capture is like grinding the SCG tour in the early days. Mm -hmm. No, that's that's a fascinating era in terms of just the stories that were happening and the people involved. And it really was wild and different. And 
unfortunately, I'm not the right co-host for you on that. Right. Yeah. And I, I think if you wanted to do that with someone who was the right co-host, I think that would be a great show. Yeah, it's, it's, I was thinking about who it would be and whether or not it should be someone who was having like the same experience as me, where it was like, I'm, I don't know, like I'm, I'm getting by, I'm starting to make money, right? Like I'm, I'm writing and going to these tournaments and doing well, but I, I definitely like, you know, am not able to live on my own or whatever. Like I have to have a roommate and I have to book flights. So like if I booked like a round trip, it'd be $400. But if I did like one way, one way, one way back home, it would be like 500. Yeah. So that's what I was doing a lot of the time. I was just gone for like three weeks out of the year, like crashing on friends' couches. And then I would like drive with them to the next event and then like fly to the next event or whatever. Uh, so it was like, do I want someone who is living that same type of life? Or do I want someone who kind of had like an opposite uh, perspective and I think a person who would have a good perspective in the opposite is Drew Levin, where he wasn't around for like the entirety of the time that I was. But when he was grinding, he was also like working a lot of the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think that getting that side of things would be interesting where he's trying to make a go of things while also working essentially a nine to five. Yeah, I, I'm certainly interested in that perspective because it's what I've mostly lived throughout my magic history. And I think most of the people who listen to our stuff have mostly lived exactly that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So it's good to have that balance for sure. I, I recorded some stuff at Drew Levin's place and I got to say the acoustics are not great. So I'd have to get on him to fix that. But freshen up that microphone game, get something cracking. Yeah, you know, but I think it's doable. OK, I, I, I think that he would be interested, too. So. I mean, the thing that I just described, right, is like him having two full time, uh, you know, hobbies or passions, work, whatever. It's like he he is a dude who figures out a way to make time to do something that he wants to do. Right. So, yeah, I know he's hella busy, but maybe he would do it. That's that's a huge skill to have. Okay, back or not back, but I guess we're going into the actual thread in Discord now. Mm -hmm. Just trying to make sure we're on the same page. Tim with you. Tim F. Riley, have you ever made your own cube? What would you do if you started one now? Do you have a good answer for this? Because I have one, but it's kind of long-winded. Uh, the the tuber is what I would do now. And I, I've posted that over in my Twitter. If you message me in the Discord, I'll post it there or post it again on my Twitter if people want to see it. That's that's where I'm at right now. I built a cube a long time ago. Uh, wasn't anything noteworthy or special. So, So when I build decks... And I think that this would apply to cubes by like a lot. It is, yeah, you know, like I, I'm mostly trying to like flesh out ideas. So I'll write down all the cards that I think I could possibly include. And then I will write down the numbers of things that are locks, right? Where it's like, I'm playing four Scalding Darn in my blue red deck. I'm playing four Dragons Raid Channeler, whatever. And then I'll go through and kind of like tweak the numbers to there, see how close I am to 60, 75. And then, tweak a little bit more but it's like if you were just like yo submit that i would i would not be comfortable submitting what i had just like you know messing with the remaining numbers and just like eyeballing it because like i would want to put out a finished product and that is how i would feel building a cube as well i feel like if you're like okay make me a 480 or whatever i would be like all right here's a list of 600 cards you know do whatever you want uh so 
that is how I would approach it. And that kind of keeps me off of it because it's like, yeah, if I was like, oh, I want to build like a cube with like these themes, this power level, like I could, I could do it. But like, there's also no real reason for me to want to build it because I'm just out on an island here, just chilling by myself and my cats don't know how to play magic. So uh, I've, I've not really been incentivized yet. Yet. One day. They do like the cards. They do like laying on boxes. I, I, I like brought out magic cards for basically the first time since the pandemic uh, when MH2 dropped and I was like getting some cards together and like building some decks and pulling aside some like things to potentially sell and whatever. And I got my cats at the start of the pandemic. So they've just like never seen magic cards before. Mm. So seeing them interact while I'm like goldfishing a deck on the couch or whatever, they're just like, uh, what is happening? Yeah, can I step on this area? What is this card? Should I bite this or whatever? It's like it's, it's been nice. they're they're working on it. They're learning. Okay, they'll get there. It's maze. If you could add ex- an existing card to modern, what would it be? This is nice because it's existing. Brian. Yeah. You got an answer for me? No. I, I feel like I get asked this question all the time, and at this point, like like counterspell was the one I always said. Uh, that is now done and has been done safely and then so beyond that i'm thinking of things like from the legacy format and what can fill gaps what can make for compelling gameplay and i don't know what's left i don't i don't know what else i'm looking for at this point do you have a good answer i guess there's a sideways answer where you just take something off the ban list Okay. I mean, is there something there that you really want that you think makes modern a better place? Better place? No. Right. Uh, That's always been my problem with it. Yeah. Thinking about legacy is weird because a lot of it is just like, well, this is Earthcraft and it's just absurdly busted and yeah. would, would not be printed today or whatever. And then there's just like a bunch of stuff that has been moved in through reprints in, you know, newer sets, just like Sterling Grove type of stuff where it's like, yeah, okay, I guess I can see this in modern. Uh, before Murktide region, I would have said Ethereal Forager, I think. That's a fine answer, sure. But, yeah, other than that, just, you know, stuff like Hole Breacher, Leovold, whatever, get out of here. Yeah, I, I have an answer that nobody else will like, but it, it comes from a good place, even if the card is not a card that I think is particularly good to have around. Uh, Winter Orb is my answer. Damn. Yeah, I mean, I, like, I know that's not a fun card to play against, but I, I actually think that it could be like useful in the modern context. And as oh, far it, as it would be useful. Yes. <laughs> too useful is your point. It is. It is a busted magic card. Uh, I would honestly have to think about what the ramifications of it existing would be. But mm. it's, it's possible that it could be good. It's also possible that it just punishes a ton of people for no real reason. So maybe, maybe instead of uh endurance type of stuff you need a thing that like does that but also kills a winter orb you know right yeah i I don't know if that's a good direction to move the format or not but in terms of like theoretical effects on the game states and the the type of things you see in modern that could push things in a different direction that's the one that really stands out to me i mean as bad as it is prison type stuff is not a well-supported archetype in modern for for better or for worse so it's not but i I see what you're saying i less want to do like prison type stuff and more want to do like small creature disruptive type stuff so like thalia decks maybe benefit from it delver type stuff is sort of already too good i keep making things that make delver better like that's that's been my answer to these things 
a lot recently, and I shouldn't do that right now. I remember I was talking about unbanning Ponder, and it's not a good time to do that given the state of modern. Uh, but I don't know. I, I like when that style of gameplay is viable. It it would be nice if it was like, oh, I just play one or two of this in my sideboard to punish a big mana deck or whatever. That's my but, hope. But that's yeah, that's hope, that's not what would happen. I don't probably not. Uh, to nappiness, what is your favorite discard spell of all time? Cabal therapy. I feel like I should have a good answer for this, where it's like one that's like pretty bad that no one else likes, but I like, and I I can't think of it. I think therapy is just the most fun in both deck building and gameplay and creates the most moments of intrigue. So that's my pick. It is gas. I can't I can't disagree with that. I also think that we have a lot of generations of magic players who missed out on Cabal Therapy and mm -hmm. Legacy brought that back to some degree, but it was also with Gitaxian probes. It was like it was cheating. Yeah, kind of messed up. Uh, our favorite ape notorious what's your favorite life lesson you've learned from playing magic as a game how how do you i guess so playing magic as a game that's that's interesting not just like the entire magic experience i was gonna say i can't narrow that down mm -hmm. to one uh focus on what matters that's a good one i feel yeah, I, I carry that into everything i feel like I must have picked this up from magic, but I don't know how, because a lot of the things that I learned was not intuition. It was directly based on me consuming a piece of content or talking to someone or whatever, mm -hmm. but just like sequencing in general, as far as figuring out, like I need to do a, then B, then C and, you know, just like very, very precise, correct order of operations things. I think that I'm very good at not just like, executing them especially because you know sometimes i'll like skip b or whatever and it's like oh that that's silly i knew the right thing to do or whatever but like in real life right it's like oh i have to get all of these tasks done at mm. you know 6 p.m and i just know exactly like what order to attack them in type yep. of stuff and it's like that, that's a good answer yeah like that stuff comes from magic it's not just like and again i'm not saying that i execute on that well but i'm saying that if i were to do it correctly you have that the tools the, to yeah, execute on that. That is that is the way that I would tell someone to execute on it. Yeah, the problem with that is you can also use that uh, to fuel your procrastination if you would like, which I am very, like, why do something over the course of eight hours where if I do things exactly in the most efficient way possible, I can actually do it in an hour and a half, although under immense stress and possible nervous breakdown. Yeah. But still, yeah. I could do it in an hour and a half. So th then you just like goof off for six hours because you're yeah. like, oh, I have plenty of time. Yep. That yeah. is that is how I've lived my life. Uh, that's fair. So Sam P wants to know the answer to It's May's question, uh, but for historic. So if you could add an existing card to historic, what would it be? I'll just think about there because I'm already thinking about it. That's probably not a good answer uh, and might even be problematic in a format that has some very powerful cards. Cabal therapy still might go too far, uh, but I'm in a cabal therapy kind of mood now. When Historic was pre-Strixhaven, there were so many white cards I wanted added to the mm. format, like Spell Queller, Knight of the White Orchid. Uh, I, th I think there were like a few other ones too, where it's like I had just this list of five cards. I think Thraven Inspector was one of them too, and then that got added. Right. And we have we have Loyal Warhound, which is it's close. It's not the yeah, same thing. It hasn't um, really panned out. But yeah, be, I th be all that close. I th even even with Historic how it is now, I think Spell Queller would be awesome. 
Yeah. yeah, that's a good card. Kira wants to know, did you ever play the WoW TCG and do you have any thoughts slash memories surrounding it? I do. I don't. I oh. never played it. I, I did have a bunch of friends who played it, though, and I also remember uh, a, a moment in time where it looked like basically as soon as the WoW TCG ended, where it looked like everyone was going to come from the WoW TCG and just take over magic. That didn't quite pan out the way I thought it would. Uh, but there, there was like a minute in 2014 where it seemed like that could happen. So I also had a bunch of friends who played not, I, I wasn't really friends with people who played WoW somehow. I'm not sure how that happened because it, it seems like they should just exist in a lot of the same spaces or whatever. But I had some friends that wanted to play it because they were like, you know, very above average magic players and were like, oh, we can just go crush this. Mm-hmm. So they're like, you know, we'll learn the game, figure out what's good, borrow some cards, whatever we can't borrow, we'll buy, you know, just like typical spike behavior, right? Filthy, filthy spike behavior. And they're like, oh, do you want to come to this tournament with me? Like, you know, play me in, in some games or whatever. And I was like, yeah, sure, whatever. Like, I'll, I'll try and learn. I played like two games and I was like, I feel really stupid. So I'm, I'm like, just, like just getting outplayed or what? I, I just like... I I needed a few more reps to figure out like what was going on. And there was also like almost all the, like you could play any card as a land, right. As a mana source. And then the things that were like actually lands, you could flip up for some cost to do some things. So like a lot of your lands were spells too. And you just like never ran out of gas or Mm -hmm. things to do with your mana. So it was stuff like that where I'm just like, I, I can't just like come in blind and feel like I have some idea of what's going on. Because they're just like, oh, on turn eight, you're clearly supposed to like save up for like this land or what. It's like, I didn't know that. How the hell am I supposed to know that? Right. 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 Uh, So, yeah, I was just like trying to figure it out as I went. But I needed to like watch some people play or just be like, okay, you know, this is what this deck does. This is what this deck does. This is what each deck is trying to do. But instead, it was just like, yeah, go in blind because no one really knows. Right. They just like cribbed two decks from the internet and were like, let's play them against each other and see which one's better or whatever. Mm-hmm. No one actually knew anything. Yeah, so a, a lot, from my understanding, a lot of that game was about getting to sort of rehearsed end game states where you just knew how specific turns were going to play out and how specific matches were going to play out once you hit certain breakpoints. So it was always described to me. Now, that might be, you know, my friend's interpretation of the game but they thought it was a very rehearsed game when you got to end games. Not to say it wasn't interesting, but very rehearsed. Well, again, once you never really run out of gas or things to do with your mana, the games are almost certainly going to devolve in that manner yep. in a higher instance than a game like Magic with more variance. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I could totally buy that. I don't know that for a fact, but that seems plausible. Yeah. Uh, Ulfelvan, complete wild animal tier list from your new place. I, I don't have a ton, so this one's on you, buddy. There's there's so many animals. I don't know that I could make a complete tier list. I mean, like frogs are always going to be S tier just because they're frogs. And then, uh, you know, turkeys are pretty high up. I would say Carl the giant koi fish is really high on my list. Just a giant white koi fish that lives in my pond. Uh, let's see. Moving down to the A tier groundhogs they throw rocks in my basketball court all the time that's frustrating but you know they're still kind of cute and do cool stuff and then i've seen a couple deer in the yard recently so uh, i'm trying to suss them out and understand exactly the impact they have 
but there i mean there's just so many animals here constant animals i i think there was a fisher at my place the other day now my wife says it was a groundhog i know what a groundhog looks like i know how <laughs> groundhogs move i don't believe it was a groundhog i believe it was a fisher which is an animal i hadn't even heard of until it showed up in my place so uh the, the animal pool runs real deep around here okay I'd great blue heron d tier i hate the great blue heron because it comes to my pond and it eats all the fish and frogs that's messed so, up yeah so but, i literally just run out there and chase it every time i see it but that's like the natural order of things you know what it if, is but it could eat someone else's fish and frogs yeah but what happens if the the heron is key for your uh environment you know i don't know man like Nothing is eating the heron around here. That thing is tremendous. It's basically a pterodactyl. Right, but so. what, if, what if, like, the, the frogs and fish get out of control and they eat all the plankton, and then since there's so many frogs and fish, that attracts, like, an army of deer or so. I don't know. You know? Well, I have uh, three green herons, which is a smaller version of a heron that come to my pond, and I let them stay because they eat, like, minnows and bugs, and that's fine. but. The great blue heron just wholesale devours fish, like just walks around eating everything. So. <laughs> All right. Fair enough. I'm not a scientist. Trackball. Have you ever been a regular at an LGS? What do you think makes a good local community at the LGS level? So many. Uh, I've lived in a lot of places and have inevitably become like an LGS regular in a lot of those places. And we, I, I don't know. I kind of talked about, you know, building a good community and the earlier question, like for, you know, the local level stuff, regional level stuff. And I, I, I don't think it, it seems hard, right? It's just like foster openness and inclusivity and be nice to each other and make sure that when there is someone being a shithead that you take care of it. Yeah. I, that's the best answer possible. Uh, the camaraderie of an LGS is a big thing. And it's actually like one of the good reasons for regional stuff is because you see someone from the LGS doing well, and then it becomes like, there's no competition that moment, right? It's about supporting someone you see regularly and, you know, rooting for them. And I remember playing local tournaments and the SDG tour would be on TV and someone would be doing well uh, from the local game store. And that was always a big deal. So stuff like that really matters. And, uh, I think there's a few levels that have to play into creating what I view as a super successful LGS, but ultimately it just boils down to a place where you can go and have fun with a bunch of people, like-minded people. Uh, when I was a kid, just starting to learn magic and like starting to participate in organized play and stuff like that, I was refreshing the coverage from U.S. Nationals one year. Like I, had, you know, was not qualified, had not gone to regionals and just starting to figure out that these things exist. Right. I like refresh the page on Sunday and I see that the person who won GSS worlds was a kid from my local store. This is, That's uh, really cool. Yeah. This dude named Ben Ashkar. And, uh, he's a trip by the way. He's, he's a wild dude, but, uh, <laughs> we'll, we'll save that for like the after dark episode, I guess. Uh, and I, I remember thinking like, really like that dude won, like I, I know he's good, but it's like, you know, it's like, I don't know, $20,000, $50,000, something like that. And it's like, that's badass, right? And maybe if, if he can do it, then I can do it. And mm -hmm. this is like 
me as an 18 year old, him as a 15 year old. Right. And definitely not, not just like, you know, the next time we went to the store or whatever, but just like for months, right. It was just like, Oh, that's, that's Ben Ashcarly, JSS world champion or whatever. Right. And yeah, that sort of thing is dope because then you, you carry that, you know, sort of pride with like your store and your friend group, even if maybe you are enemies at some point, but it's like I was talking about before with like trying to, I don't know, but basically just like foster more reasons to, to be like that rather than combative instead of trying to like pit people against each other, pit stores against each other, pitch pit like States against each other, whatever, find a way to squash that. Uh, the the more we have this conversation today, the more I am just wholesale in on the idea that regional play is so, so important for its fostering these type of things and the type of notoriety that let's, let's be frank, like that feels nice and it matters to a lot of people and that type of achievement matters to a lot of people. And uh, we're going to need some replacement for that long-term. That's all I really want to say about it for the time being. Uh, but I, I hope it does manifest. Ninja the Nick, do you find online tournament series to be a suitable replacement for PTQ style tournaments? I noticed neither you nor Jerry have played much, even though in theory there are tournaments available. Has this affected your enjoyment of magic? Uh, How would you know if we were playing? So Brian has not been playing. I've been playing uh, certainly more magic than I had in like the, you know, basically since I left the MPL. And I'm not necessarily participating in like the PTQ stuff, but like I'm playing in a decent amount of the challenges like every weekend. So I don't know. It, it is funny to me that people would make that assumption based on me, not like bragging about it or whatever. <laughs> Secret accounts, Secret accounts for days. Yeah. So I I've been playing some, obviously not, not a ton. Uh, a lot of it has to do with, not really giving a shit if I qualify for a thing because those things don't really do it for me. There's, there's nothing there. And uh, that is, that is definitely part of the problem. And I think that if there were a better carrot, it would be more likely that I would play in the event. I mean, the, the bigger online things like magic online things I am all about because it's just like, you know, you, join through the program when your pairing is up it like the game starts you know and for whatever reason for me there is and has always been a disconnect between doing things through battlefy or you know discord like any of these sorts of programs right where it's just like i don't want to have to like talk to another human or several humans to try and figure out how to pair our match it's just silly i just don't want to do it it's a fair complaint and i mostly feel similarly uh i think there's there's two things i want to touch on with regards to this one is uh if i'm giving up my weekend i need to have a good reason to do so so i was i was pretty happy to play events when they were mostly occurring during the week you know i fandom legends was always on wednesdays and uh, some of the Twitch stuff creeped into the weekend, but that first run of arena tournaments worked really well for me. I was really excited to see them happening during the week. Uh, the weekend, though, it, it's got to be it's got to be a wholesale event for me to see it as worth it to give up time with my wife, uh, you know, to give up time with family when circumstances is such that I can spend time with family. All, all of that. 
it's it's a big barrier to overcome for me. So just the state of online play, it doesn't even come close to overcoming that barrier. Like you said, all of the annoyances and pairings and all of the lack of stakes that all manifest into something I just don't care that much about. And I would rather go ahead and spend my weekend outside or swimming or whatever I'm going to do. Second thing I want to touch on is circling back around to secret accounts. Uh, there is a level of scrutiny and stress that comes with tying your name to your magic account when you're creating content. You always feel, and, and maybe this is like completely self-created, totally in my head. But I always feel like if I am playing against someone, they're taking that game particularly seriously, like it's a, it's an important thing for them. And I feel almost obligated to share that same type of experience and give them my best. And long term, that's draining in a platform that's not really designed for that type of play in most instances, like especially something like Arena Ladder. Like, you know, oftentimes people will message you after a game and be like, oh, we just played. I, I thought this happened. What did you think of this? And I, I'm almost always happy to do that. If I'm like engaging on that level, like I'm really working hard to figure something out. But as far as just like enjoyment, casual play, it feels like it's completely out the window. And that's the reason why I have shifted basically all of my play at this point to uh, non-identifiable accounts. I think you were in the same place, Jerry. And it's it's less about like trying to hide and more just about trying to reclaim some joy and peace in the games that I play. Would you, would you echo that sentiment? Yeah, definitely. I started down the process of changing my magic online screen or my arena screen name. So when, when I made an arena account, I made it different than any other magic online account that I'd had because I, I did not want to be identified. And then when the MPL started and they're like, Oh, we're going to promote our players and blah, blah, blah. And I was like, well, I mean, if that's the case, then you should change my screen name to just be Jerry T. Right. If like, this is going to be part of my job where, you know, basically what you said, Brian, where it's like the, the person on the other side is going to want to engage with you on that level. And I definitely felt that too, if I was in the MPL. Uh, and then if there is like some sort of like chatter that they want to have after the fact, I feel like it is my job to engage in that in the best way possible. Yep. And that's a lot, though. I mean, it, it I'm, is I'm not begrudging it, and I'm thankful for the opportunity that anyone even cares what I have to say. But it's a lot. It is a lot. And I, I felt like if I was getting the MPL salary, that's not explicitly part of my job, but it is part of my job if I want to do my job well, which I always do. Mm -hmm. So I was like, I just need to know that going in, that is how I have to interact with it. And for these reasons, which in my mind are good reasons. So if I was like, well, I don't, I don't want to interact on that level. And then people would like come at me asking me questions all the time, or, you know, even just trying to say like good games, whatever, then, then it would be more disheartening. And so that's kind of where I'm at now, where it's just like, if I am playing on arena, it's probably cause I'm sitting on my couch and, you know, watching a TV and playing fetch with my cats and like, Maybe just, you know, trying to figure out how this deck feels, but not like mm -hmm. all concede halfway through a game yes. or whatever. Like, I don't care. Regularly. It doesn't, it doesn't <laughs> yes. matter to me. Ladder doesn't matter to me. And then, you know, someone will message me and be like, yo, what the hell is up with that? You know, and yes. it's just like, 
look, I don't, I don't have time to explain myself to you, you know? Yeah. So uh, in engaging in it in that way is actively bad for me and I don't want to do it. So I tried to change my screen name. Uh, we figured out <laughs> how to like the, the, the magic words to tell them to be like, okay, yeah, we will change your screen name for you. But then they were like, give me these seven pieces of information. And I just shut down. I found the information. It meant that much to me <laughs> that I was willing to track down I, the information. I so. was, I was gonna, and honestly, it, it doesn't take that long or whatever. It's just like executive dysfunction problems, you know? So yep. I, I will, I will cross that bridge someday. I think that if there is a big set release that I'm going to be playing a lot, I will likely change my screen name before that. And it was kind of feeling like that was going to be the case with historic horizons. So I was like leaning leaning towards doing it and then they're like delaying it. And I was like, okay, never mind. Just back to procrastinating. I'm not doing this. Yeah. So, so I would just sum this up as a little bit of self-care and what has been a very challenging time for both of us making that shift has, has helped me uh, deal with that a little bit better. Yeah. And again, that, like that's another thing uh, going through discord for these tournaments where it's just like, you know, you kind of have to like use your real name or whatever. And it's like, I, maybe I don't want to do that. And in a lot of instances, I don't want to do that. So right. if I could play online anonymously, anonymously, I would. And I have been doing that to the best of my ability. So, uh, yeah, if if they had like. I don't know, big tournaments on arena, not even necessarily big, but like, say, it gave away like a bunch of gems or whatever, you know, just like stuff that doesn't really cost Wizards money, uh, I would probably be playing in those if they're just like high stakes events and for magic online, if the mock system becomes palatable again, I will likely participate in that too. And okay. then it's just like, yeah, I play anonymously until I win and then people know it's me. And then I change accounts again, whatever. <laughs> Get them next year. That's what, that's what happened when, when I qualified for the mocks, it was like, yeah. oh, okay, I won. And people, people had no idea. So I think that's a fine approach and it's gas. I love it. Uh, Jeff Fica, if you could hold your own secret GP, how would you improve on that perfection of last weekend? And uh, I don't know, so many, right? So many different not, ways. Not, that's what I would do right now. I would not. So I, I think, COVID aside, how would you put on an event like that? In the, in the era that we're in now, too, I think is specifically part of the equation. With like no organized play and stuff like that. Here's the problem. I do not believe you can do that and do it profitably in the absence of infrastructure and a greater goal. And I think there are two organizations exactly who can do that. Wizards of the Coast, Star City Games. I, I wouldn't bother. I just wouldn't bother. The, the upfront cost, the actual return you're getting, the return is never in the tournament itself. It's in brand building. It's in sales. It's in future equity. It's, it's not in running a profitable event. And unless you're in it for the long haul and to the extent where you're like, I'm going to challenge Star City. I want to be able to do exactly what they do and on a bigger scale. Okay, go for it. You can, you can run those kind of events. Otherwise, I just don't think it's a reasonable it's a reasonable thing for these entities to do. I think they're just misguided in trying to accomplish these things. Uh yeah, promote the hell out of it, have a plan. When you're just I, that's a good starting point. I, I still don't think you're gonna win, but like no. yeah, start there. So when one of the, the big detracting reasons 
from this event, you know, gestures, all of this aside, right, uh, was that I had never heard of this store before that was running this event. And when you start tacking on, like, we're going to get this many people and this is going to be our prize payout and blah, blah, blah. And then it's like, then there's some sketchy stuff where it's like, well, actually, if, you know, people don't show up, then we're just going to, you know, cut the prize pool dramatically or whatever. It's like, there's so many things that make me skeptical, but I've never heard of you. Yeah. That in and of itself is very, very bad. I have no reason to believe that you can put on this kind of event because I know what it takes to run this kind of event. Correct. Hubris, hubris. How hard can it be? Right. I think also like making all of these grandiose claims when you have not shown that you are capable of doing this also leads me to believe that your event is going to fail. Yeah, I, uh, I want to credit this appropriately, but I am unfortunately blanking on whose tweet it was. It may have been Alex Bistecki, and I'm sorry if I have the wrong person for this, but basically it was a discord or twitter conversation between this person and the entity running the event and something to the effect of uh how many people do you think will come and the organizer answered based on past experiences we're expecting well over a thousand and it's like you've run a thousand that is exactly what the person said and then it was just silence after that so i i think that was alex okay that kind of shows you where they were at and it sums it up perfectly. These things are not easy to do. And uh, there's not a lot of reason to do that. That's the other part of the problem. Yeah. So say COVID goes away. Spoiler, it's not. Uh, but say it goes away. The big selling point that I would use for this is like, you know, you get to hang out with your friends again. Everyone is, is going to come to this event. And yeah. I would try and make it so that everyone came to my damn event. And that would mean that making sure that everyone knows about it knowing that we are trying to capture what made like the the big ptqs and stuff like that so much fun and so enjoyable and when you are a single entity and you see this thing maybe you reach out to your friends and you're like hey do you have any interest in going to this or whatever uh maybe you get some some fish biting or whatever maybe you don't uh but for the most part i think when there's like a few people you know who are already going, it makes it easier for you to be like, okay, well, now this is something I want to go to. Right, snowballs. Yeah. I, I think I think attendance snowballs. Right. So you, you have to start that somewhere, and by not advertising it or advertising it poorly, you ensure that that never happens. But look at, look at things like uh, GP Richmond or GP New Jersey, like these just like absurdly huge events that SCG put on. It, a lot of it was to do with marketing. They made sure that people knew about it and yeah. they started marketing them early enough that people were talking about it where it's like, I'm going to Richmond, are you going to Richmond? And like that number just like grows and grows and grows. Plus, you know, it's Star City. So you know that- Trusted org. Yeah, the event is reputable. So it's all of you these gotta, things You combined. gotta build a rep in this space, man. You, you can't just come out guns a blazing because people will always be like, what's your game? I mean, that's that's my question when I see an event like this. What's your game? How are you actually going to profit from this? Or are you just clueless? Because those are the two options. You, you can't you can't win here. So so what are you trying to get done? And, you know, some actors who come out of nowhere, they they prove themselves to be good entities. That's certainly happened over the past few years. And 
throughout Magic's history that has come to fruition, but it takes time. You can't just show up on the scene and people expect like, okay, this is going to be a well-run tournament and these people are going to act fairly, especially given just past events. You know, Cardmageddon is the one that is always going to weigh everyone's perception of these type of events where they just don't pay anyone and... if, if you don't know the saga of Cardmageddon, there's a better source for it out there than just a quick discussion here. And it's it's worth looking into basically the biggest disaster in Magic Tournament history. And we're, we're always looking for the next one. And uh, I think we found it. Yep. I don't know. I wonder how much effect it would be if, say, like you and I try to start a tournament series. We have some amount of reps, certainly not in the tournament organizer space, but mm-hmm. we have enough connections where we could bring in a group of people who could like run our events. And what I would be interested in doing is branding them sort of, or not like branding them, but like making sure that people know that we are either breaking even or losing money on the events in order to go to this end goal. Yep. To build equity long-term. That's, it's just what you have to do. That's how this works. And it's how all these other organizations did it for a long time. And that's the other thing too, about this particular tournament structure you weren't willing to take on the risk. So when I see that, I go, okay, well, you don't believe in this product. You're not willing to just go ahead and put up a prize pool because you're, you're so sure you need a thousand people. But just in case, we're uh, going to take all this off the table. And granted, there's other circumstances. Like given COVID, well, you shouldn't have run the tournament. But I understand the fear when that situation is out there. But that plays into everyone's perception of the event. And you were just never going to win under those circumstances. Yep. Zero Chaos. Say San Junipero from Black Mirror becomes real. Uh, Are you familiar with this? No. I'm not either, but we can answer based on context. Cool? Okay, sure. All right. They ask, when you eventually feel like reliving an old magic event, which one would you do first? Remember, these are like simulations of old time periods, so think more about what you'd most enjoy playing again and less, uh, less getting another roll at the dice for a tournament that didn't go well. Well... You are making an assumption about what I would enjoy the most versus like, you know, trying to write this thing that I wronged in the past. I would I would get way more joy out of playing a deck I hated if it meant that I could fix my mistakes and win the tournament. Yeah, so <laughs> I'm I'm thinking carefully about this. The first thing that came to mind, and I don't know if this actually fits given this context maybe it still does maybe it still does work one of the i think it was the first magic tournament i ever played in my life it was at the warnerville roller rink which is barely a roller rink uh in a well apparently it's a tcg venue you would think so uh i don't know if it's anything anymore but it was a town without a traffic light but somehow there was just a roller rink in a barn in the middle of it gotta do something with your time yeah and it ran a magic tournament and I went to it and, you know, first time ever, don't really know much. Um, 12, 13, and nobody knows anything. This is like right after the release of Ice Age. So it's a very nascent time. And I had just started to get some cards together. And I go to this tournament and a kid asked to look at my trade binder. And he just ravages it and steals everything and runs out the door. And... I don't know what I want to do to that kid. I'm not a violent person. Like, I don't want to beat them up, but I just don't want that to happen. I, like, I want to see that kid get caught and get what he deserved for 
tarnishing what should have been my first magic experience ever. I, I think that's what I really want out of this because, I, you know, like the outcomes don't really matter. I just want to see some justice done. That's a good answer. I like that. I don't I don't know if it's true or not, though, like because now when you talk about just like winning a tournament and fixing the wrongs, that also sounds nice. But that was the first thing that come to my mind. So. Uh, trying to think of a tournament where I was just like, my deck is absolutely busted and everyone else's deck stinks because that those tournaments are pretty fun for me. Mm-hmm. Think about like. I don't know, I guess the the Dark Depths PTQs on Magic Online were really nice. Those were great. Uh, but it, it's also different because it's like, yeah, you know, you like beat up on on some people, but I don't know their reactions to it necessarily. I, I, I imagine like the first few times they're just like, oh, you're playing like Thopter Foundry in your Dark Depths deck. That's silly. And then like you beat them because of it. And their initial reaction is like, that shouldn't happen. That shouldn't exist. But then like, you know, two weeks later, it's the best deck in the format. And they're just like, you know, now, now how do you feel? Right. But like, yep. I, I don't, I don't get the, them being mad in the moment or them asking questions like, Oh, that's, that's interesting. Why'd you decide to do that or whatever? I just like, yeah, I, I beat people because I knew the deck was busted and then I just go on and beat the next person. So it's, it's like, it kind of takes some of the human element out of it. Right. Yeah. It, it would be tough for magic online to be the correct answer to that question for me. But again, after you said that, I thought of when I, had like the first Splinter Twin deck, which was actually like a, a mid-range Jace Bloodbraid Elf Pestermite Splinter Twin deck that I built for Old Extended. And n- nobody knew about this deck. It was, it was strictly mine. And I actually lost to Cedric in the top four of the PTQ. Uh, so if I could go back and beat Cedric, I think that might make that experience worth it. That's and then gas. I also go ahead and uh, you know win the tournament. I think Cedric lost in the finals too. Nice. Uh, GP Charlotte was a good one. Do you know this one? I don't think so. So I, I believe this was the event that kind of changed my life. Uh, this, this doesn't really have anything to do with the answer to this question, but basically like while I was at this event, Mike Crum, who won the tournament, I, I think this is when he invited me to come live with him, which, which got me out of like a really shitty situation. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I, I was playing like the Sacred deck that, I mean, it was Dredge before people were doing it or had like a good version. And there's a, a lot of stuff about the genesis of that, but whatever. Uh, so I've been like tuning this deck over the last few weeks and Crumb at this point was mostly like put in no work, no practice, just like copy Jerry's deck list for better or for worse. And he happened to, to win this GP. And it's it's just one of those events where <laughs> I guess this is kind of similar to the, the dark depths on magic online thing. Like this is, this is the inverse of this where I beat someone playing white, black, like astral slide control. And one of their scariest cards against me was Tarot's faithful. Cause it, it blocked my Icarus, you see. Mm-hmm. And that's to say that their deck was not threatening at all. Mm-hmm. But like that was like the best thing that they could do. And I remember beating them and then just being like so huffy when they're de-sideboarding. They're like, I have two morning tides in my sideboard. How did I lose? Morning tide wasn't there to bail them out, huh? Uh, they may have cast it even. It, like it, it doesn't, it doesn't, it's a Tormod script for two mana that doesn't be dredge. Like what are you talking about? Right. But like that was That's graveyard hate there, Jerry. That's all it takes. Yeah. But that was before 
anyone like knew anything about like these graveyard decks, right? So like that, the the things that had to go wrong for me to also like, you know, not get second with Crumb in this tournament or whatever, were just preposterous. Mm-hmm. And I, I think like replaying that one would be a fun one because it's, it's like one where I think I had the best deck not close and it just like kind of got away from me. Uh, okay. That's a good answer. And, and the deck was just like fun as hell to play, right? It's like I'm casting Talarian Winds and got some Psychotogs in there, you know, Zombie Infestation. Nice. That's a nice one. All the good ones. I got my Psychotogs signed by Ed Beard at that tournament because he was there. Who's Ed Beard? Is that, is that the artist for Psychotogs? Yeah, it's the artist. Okay, that uh, makes sense. Ed, Ed Beard Jr., I believe. Okay. So yeah, I don't know, stuff like that. Or like... Uh, Pro Tour Valencia, I played Enduring Ideal, which was my first time playing like a combo deck in a Pro Tour or whatever. And I, I think if I just add two lands to my deck, I probably top eight the tournament. Okay. So, so simp- simple corrections. Just want to see how it plays out. I mean, there, in hindsight, I would build the deck much differently. But even if I'm just like committed to registering that same like style of deck as I built it, it's just like. Yeah, just add. I already added two lands to the list of like the moto people were running, and I think it needed two more. So, all right, good times. Uh, Sue name, why aren't you playing the Pokemon MOBA? Pay to win, Brian. Pay to win. No, but like you can you can play as free to play, right? Like if you were playing with a group of friends, it would still be fun for you. I don't know. Uh, MOBA on Switch, the, the idea doesn't work for me. I'm sure it's fine, but uh, it just hasn't, hasn't caught my attention yet. Maybe I'll try it. I've never played a MOBA in my life. Okay. Are uh, you playing this one? No. God, no. Oh, okay. Uh, so Nick, Nick Prince texted me and was like, you know, you know, this is Pokemon related. Why aren't you playing it? And I was like, well, I've never played a MOBA. And he's like, yeah, but like, what about you know, Pokemon Snap and Pokemon Stadium. It's like, yeah, dude, I've only played like the main series games. I haven't like played anything else. I played uh, like Mysterious Dungeon or whatever it's called mm-hmm. because that's just like an actual RPG, which is in my wheelhouse. But like the weirdo Pokemon spinoffs I have not messed with. And like, this is just a thing in the line of those where I was, it was like, if it's cool, if it's like, you know, fun to watch as an esports sort of thing, that would be sweet. And maybe if like Joe wanted to play, I would play or something. But I was I've heard a lot of middle of the road reviews in general for it. Like people seem to think it's fine, but it's living a lot on the back of the Pokemon brand. Right. Well, I mean, that's the thing, though, is that there there are enough things that could be involved in it where I wouldn't care about those things anyway. Mm. So I don't know. I think if four really fun people, is it five people on a team? Just like League? I don't even know. But if it was like also don't know if it was n amount of people who were like really fun people to be around and wanted to play, I, I would play maybe, but I don't know. It's still weird and a big ass because I've never moved before. Right. A lot of, a lot of learning to do. I believe it. I watched, I watched some League of Legends like twice. So, you know, basically an expert. That's, that's the gateway drug. Marcus, what games, books, other forms of entertainment aside from tractors have you both been enjoying lately? Well, I mean... If I can't answer anything about tractors, I'm out. Sorry. Yeah, only tractor enjoyment. No, I've I was playing uh the ascent for a while. Medium. I don't really recommend that. Uh there's a book I'm reading that I'm really enjoying that I don't know the name of, but I got it from our Discord. So I can look in the book channel and see what it is called. 
Uh, it is Shards of Honor by Lois McMaster Bujold. Crew was in our Discord talking about it okay. and uh, did a good job hyping it up. It's part of the Vork Osigan Vorkosigan saga. Um, but I, ju- I just started reading it and it's it's pretty great. I was impressed. There are so many books that I have that I have not read because I just can't right now. Just am not able to sit down and concentrate on a book. And I switched to audiobooks a while ago uh, for for things things that were it was applicable to, I guess. You know, like there are some mm-hmm. books that like you just kind of have to read. But for when I was traveling a lot and that was pretty awesome. But now, even in that sense, like I can't just like even if I like turn off my TV, turn off everything, like turn on an audiobook, I my mind wanders. I can't focus on it. So I hear you. Uh, reading is something that very much comes and goes for me, and it has mostly been gone for a while. But for whatever reason, this week I I picked up this book, started reading it, and uh, it's actually uh, been sort of a perfect intro book because it is snappy and quick and immediately interesting. So uh, pretty hooked now, and I'll I'll see how much I dive into the series. No, that's gas. I'll, I'll probably pick it up at some point. I used to read a lot. I loved reading. Same. I, I don't know what happened, man. I just, I can't do it anymore. It's just a weird thing where you you have to, like, like I said, we reading comes in waves for me where I will just read two and a half hours a day, every single day for a year. And then I won't read a book the next year. I, I don't know why it goes like that, but that's just how it is. Uh, other forms of entertainment. I don't know. I have TV on in the background a lot of the time or like Twitch streams or whatever, not really paying too much attention to it. It's just noise. So you could say that I've watched like quote unquote, watched a lot of shows, but I haven't really been paying that much attention. Uh, games still playing kitchen impact, playing punching gray Raven, just like gotcha games basically. Uh, I don't know. Just like trying them out. Like Genshin led me to like, uh honkai which is their original game and just like they're they're like kind of good and kind of interesting but definitely not enough for me to be like oh you know this is my main game or whatever it's like now i'll play Mm -hmm. i'll play for like 30 minutes a day or whatever then i'm done yeah keep bouncing around find uh find small dose experiences that seems like a good approach to gaming yeah it's kind of fun uh also like when when i commit to that it means that i don't spend money too so that's good sure Slunk, does the heaviness of the music you listen to while drafting influence your pick choice, e.g. do metal equal more likely to pick cars with devil themes, etc.? No, uh, especially since I'm almost exclusively listening to heavy music. Uh, same and also now. Kelton, I've gotten into the Resleavables podcast recently, and I really enjoy hearing the tournament stories Patrick and Cedric share. Do y'all have any particularly outlandish or wholesome or just your favorite stories from tournaments past? Yes. This was a yes or no question. I could also answer yes. <laughs> I mean, do, uh, do you have any stories? The answer is yes. I, I do have stories. Uh, I, I feel like I've we've, we've shared some stories uh, of, of good tournament times already on the cast, so I don't need to go any deeper than that. Hopefully we already satiated your interest for a good story, Kelton. Again, if, if we ever get a, a house together... Uh, for you know some event in the future or whatever like that is when story time happens let me tell you right yes there have been many stories shared agro i'm a bit of a biased party but i'm interested in your commentary experiences 
what were some of the things you really focused on improving on when you first started doing commentary? And when you listen to your more recent work, what do you think you want to improve on now? So I might be bad for this because I purposefully don't go back and listen to my old stuff. Usually in the moment, I can figure out what I'm doing that I don't like. And a lot of it is true of the podcast as well. And I don't know. Basically, I I want to, I, I think that the things that I say are good. And in a lot of instances, the words that I choose are good. However, I feel like I could focus more on the way that I speak and deliver the message versus just going off at free form, which is mostly what I've been doing. So like focusing on cutting out any sort of ums, things like that. Um, I don't know, even not repeating the same words over and over, right? Just mm. like expanding the vocabulary. But it's, I mean, it's especially weird now because I don't converse with a lot of humans. So I don't know, even working on that is kind of difficult. Conversation skills getting a little rusty. I feel that. A little bit. Um, so I don't know if you know Agro, Jerry, but uh, he is a commentator for the game Smite. Do you know what Smite is? I know what Smite, I, I mean, I know it exists. I don't know what it is. Okay, it, it's basically a MOBA with kind of like a different perspective. You're like third person view of only your one character and you can't go around the map. Okay. And uh, I met Agro at a SCG event, uh, was playing, I believe, Kiki Chord. Really great guy. I had a really great conversation with him and uh, touched a little bit on commentary then. That's dope. Yeah. Love it. And hopefully we'll get a chance to cross paths at a tournament again in the future. Uh, as far as things, when I first started doing commentary, I just wanted to speak clearly and slowly was always my goal, because if I get excited, I tend to speak really fast. Uh, I, I've mostly worked that out, and that was a very simple starter goal, uh, just to make sure I was able to be listened to by many people. Now. When I listen to more recent work, I, I, I need to do a better job finding the balance of occupying space and delivering what I am trying to say. Now, I know I use a lot of words in situations where fewer words would probably do the job. I'm, I'm not blind to that. A lot of that comes from the fact that when you're working in an audio medium, you're, you're trying to do that. You're trying to make things more interesting, especially when it comes to covering games of magic. Like it is fine to go on a long winded diatribe about something that maybe you could have just said, this thing is bad uh, because there's a lot of space to fill and you have to make things engaging for a long period of time. And there's not always things going on that you can focus on. When it comes to the podcast format, I could probably do less of that. But once you get in that mode where you want to be engaging and you want to, you know, fluff your stories up a bit, it's hard to break away from it. I would be served by finding some better balance on those things, especially when it comes to the podcast. Maybe not so much in the commentary space, but I mean, I don't even know anymore. It's been so long since I covered a match of magic. I, who knows if I even know how to anymore. I kind of feel the opposite of you, where I think that speaking quickly, there's a time and a place for, but. I know that whenever I talk to someone who, you know, mostly speaks like Japanese or something and speaks like solid English or 
uh, you know, can understand English or whatever, I'm like, oh, shit, like, how how easy is it to actually listen to the podcast and understand what we're saying? Because that is not necessarily something that, well, it's definitely not something I considered when I started the podcast, but like, as it right. went on, it's just something that, you know, is not at the forefront of my mind a lot of the time. And I agree with you with just like speaking clearly, enunciating, not mumbling, those sorts of things. But I don't think that that necessarily has to go hand in hand with speaking slowly, at least 100% okay. of the time. No, that's a, that's a fair point. And the enunciation part is definitely the more important part of the deal. And it drives my wife absolutely crazy that I enunciate or I try to enunciate so well on the podcast because I mumble in, in my real life and I don't speak all that loudly or clearly what I deal with her. And she's like, why can't you just talk to me like you do on the podcast so I can actually understand you? And I'm like, I don't know. You put a microphone in front of me. I'm more conscious about it. <laughs> you, you, didn't, you didn't say, I don't know. You said, ah. <laughs> uh, and then I walked out of the room. Yeah. So yeah, she, ha she has a valid complaint. I promise. Yeah, that's legit. In, in the uh, case of filling dead air, I personally have never felt like I struggled with that because to me, there are always so many things going on in a game of magic that I could talk about to the point where there have been pieces of content where I'm like, okay, stop the video at this because I want to ramble for two minutes, uh, you know, before the next thing happens, because there's a lot to unpack here. Right. And I kind of feel like that throughout the entirety of a match, regardless of what's going on, even like during sideboarding, it's like, we can talk about what matters in the matchup. Like how does it change if this person approaches it differently? Or, you know, there's just so many things that I could go on about. This is why I'm the play by play and you're the color. Yeah, I guess. So I will, I'll fill your dead air, Brian. That's, that's like a, a nice, you know, Valentine's card or whatever between two co-commentators, <laughs> right? I'll fill your dead air. Yeah. yeah. That one's flying off the shelves right now. Hell yeah. Anything else on the commentary? Cause I feel no, like, I feel like at this point, it. at this point, people turn to you way more for that stuff than they do for me. So, I mean, maybe that would have been right. Uh, two years ago. But like I said, it's, it's been so long. I don't, I don't know what it's going to be like if, and when we eventually get back to it. Dude, we, we, we did the Red Bull thing like not that long ago and it was good. <sighs> we did one round. <laughs> like that's very different from doing a full weekend worth of commentary. Did we only do one or was it two? I feel like it was two, but it was one. It, it, it paid like at least two. <laughs> I'll say that. It paid well, you want to, you want to know the funny thing. Yeah. So like in, in the case of someone with ADHD, right? There's like the list of things that you know you should do. Executive dysfunction prevents you from doing them. And then and it's like a combination of like anxiety that that makes that even worse. Oh, God, I know what you're about to tell me. And I'm so angry. What am I about to tell you? You've never you never got paid for the Red I Bowl never thing. got paid for the Red Bull thing, Brian, you because be I, they want me to submit an invoice. It was so easy. It was so easy. And they paid us so well. I can't believe you didn't get paid for it. So the, the longer it goes on, the more I'm like, oh, well, if I respond to them like three months later, do I look like a jackass? And I'm not really considering like, do I look like a jackass for just never submitting it or whatever? But then stuff happens where it's like, well, now the quarter is definitely done. Like, does this influence like their taxes or whatever? <laughs> uh, so, yeah, this this was. I want to say like 10 months ago, something like that. And I, I've just never invoiced them. But then the new like thinking about it and just like the anxiety and everything, I'm like, oh, I should do this probably. 
Uh, but then everything makes me less likely to be able to do it. So you need an assistant. Yeah. No kidding. I need someone to run my life. Open casting calls for Jerry's assistant. Two punter, one magic and one non-magic question. Can you tell us about one of your favorite MTG decks ever? It could be any era, any format, any era. And two, what future non-magic entertainment thing are you two excited to come out? One of my favorite magic decks ever. Let's, I have a lot of them. I'm going to go with Abzan Rights for this one. Uh, Dude, again, that's your like, answer. You should play that Pro Tour over again. I did not play that at the Pro Tour. I played that at some oh, weird 5K. Yeah, okay. And, that was Collected Company, whatever. Yeah, I don't, I don't want the, everyone the to rally play deck. that. <laughs> I don't want to play that Pro Tour again. I was, um, for whatever reason, I thought Village Rights, and then I thought Sacrifice, and then I thought Rally. No. You're talking no. about Unburial Rights, obviously. I'm talking about Unburial yes. Rights. Um, just miles ahead of the format and uh, a lot of fun to play a lot of cool stuff going on future non-magic entertainment thing that i'm excited to come out uh i guess it's not it, it, it's already out so it's not that i'm excited for it to come out but uh my playstation 5 is supposed to be arriving back from sony any day now like today or tomorrow because the, mo the mover's broken you had to get it repaired I had to get it repaired, and, but that means it returning. Uh, I will finally be able to play Final Fantasy Remake, which I've been putting off for a very, very long time. So it's new to me, and uh, I am I am looking forward to doing so. Dude, you're not even going to play it. I, I am going to play you're it. Not, I'm excited to play you're it. You're not even going to play it. I'm going to start it. I guarantee I start it. Oh dear. Uh, it, okay. If 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 you ever do play it. Uh, we should talk about it. Okay. Uh, favorite MTG deck ever. I'm trying to think of something that made me feel really smart and was also really good because that's that's the sweet spot for me. Mm -hmm. And I don't yeah, know. Yeah, Abzan did those two things for sure. I don't know. I mean, like, Cobblade did that, but it's also kind of different. Oh, okay, no, I have a good answer. All right, so I was going to say Cobblade did that, but everyone knew it was the best, and it wasn't like, oh, we all have to adapt to this thing like let's let's hammer down figure out how to beat up on this deck or whatever people were just like nah i'll just ignore it that'll be fine nah lotus cobra yeah and then they're like god i can't believe you're playing Callblade. like you're an asshole and it's like what do you want from me you know <laughs> uh so that was not like great or fun it wasn't rewarding you know what i mean it was like people they were not bringing their best uh so Post ban, me I continued to play blue white. No mm. Jace, no Stoneforge Mystic. It was still busted. Mm. No one played it except me, and I just like won a bunch of tournaments with it. It was like, what the hell? I don't understand. Like it's fair. I'm playing a Myria Angel and Jace Bellerin. You know, good enough. Yeah, it doesn't. The second tier of of blue white cards were still awesome, and the matchups were like close and fun and interactive. I don't I don't think I ever had someone like end the match be like, I hate your deck or whatever. You know, it was like, oh, good games. Right. And that was what happened the majority of the time. But the deck was so good. I won with it a bunch. I wrote about it a bunch and very few people picked it up or they were putting like hero blade hold in their deck for no reason. I sort of remember this era uh, post ban. I feel like I played uh, Demir during that time period. And uh, I don't think that was a good idea. 
don't recommend that. Yeah, I mean, that was definitely an era where you could be like, well, I like this deck and all the decks kind of suck, you know? Mm. Uh, although that probably doesn't hold water because Splinter Twin was a deck that you could play. And I, I, yeah. I think that that was just the best deck and like very few people could play it well and build it well, you know? Yeah. Uh, I I remember dabbling with Splinter Twin during that time period, which is is not good. Like I should have been playing Splinter Twin during that period. I don't know why I would only dabble in that period. I probably untapped my birthing pod more with Deceiver Exarch than I used it to make infinite Deceiver Exarch. Right. So not a good approach. Uh, entertainment. I don't know. What am I looking forward to, Brian? I don't even. I don't even think there's really anything. Tales of Arise, maybe. What about the uh, new MMO coming out? New World. Any interest in that? No. Okay. Never mind. Next. Next. VSK, what home improvement project are you most excited for? I think this one's directed to you. Yeah, so uh, we just got our barn cleared out. And for a while... Space for more tractors or goats? The tractor's in there. The tractor's in there. More, uh, more goats? I'll get to the goats in a second. Okay. For the barn, though... It, I, I didn't think this idea was going to get any foothold, so I kind of proposed it on a whim and was very surprised when Janelle reacted favorably. I was talking about basically converting the barn into a sports complex and putting in a pickleball, pickleball court and a basketball hoop and basically just playing sports inside the barn. Uh, was really into that idea and then realized that the rafters are probably just too low and it doesn't work. So not going to do that. Just going to like get a ping pong table for it and mostly store stuff in it. Are you supposed to like raise your roof? Just like add some layers? I can't do that. Maybe that's possible, but that's that's not going to be anytime soon. If that is something that we could do. Um, what it does look like it'll be soon, though, is we're going to convert our potting shed, which is a real thing. I. I didn't know what a potting shed was either, uh, but apparently it's like a place where you, I don't know, bring your plants and put them in pots and add soil to them. And I don't know. I won't be using it for that. We are going to be going to convert it into a home for Nigerian dwarf goats. And then we're going to put a fence up uh, leading out of the potting shed and basically fence off like the top, uh, I don't know, half acre of our backyard and just give the goats a nice little home, a nice shelter in the potting shed and just have a couple of Nigerian dwarf goats. We haven't decided if we're going to get uh, milkable goats yet, but that's on the table and maybe make our own goat cheese would be pretty cool. And uh, yeah, that, that's the, the next big home improvement project. My home is in shambles, so. Uh... So no goats anytime soon is what you're saying? No goats, man. I barely have air conditioning. And it's like okay. 95 here. So uh, 92 right now. Yeah, I would, I would make that the first project, I think. Yeah, I, I tried yesterday. It didn't really go great. So it's fine. I'm, I'm only renting, so it's not really my problem. In theory, That's true. In theory, I can just move. So one of, the, one of the few upsides of renting. Not your problem. Piece of Schmidt. What is one setting slash theme that Magic has never been to that you think... Uh, You'd like them to try and explore. Um, I think they're doing a good job of like covering all the like low hanging fruit that they very mm -hmm. like. I would have expected them to do Eldrain type of stuff 
a long time ago, right? But they just never did. They're always like, we're going to build our own thing, blah, blah, blah. And now there's like, eh, whatever, let's like lean into these tropes. And I don't know, I guess they haven't done any like futuristic or like cyberpunky type thing, which I would imagine would be on the docket. But again, I don't know uh, how well magic would lend itself to that. So I don't know. It, it would be weird. Yeah. But like, that's the first thing that comes to mind. That's always the first thing that comes to mind for me, too. And I think like Kaladesh was supposed to be that and kind of failed. Like it, that flavor didn't really resonate for me. No, it was like 1940s. It's like, oh, look at our great invention. It's like, a, you know, an engine. Uh, yeah, we, we developed an engine. It's like, OK. <laughs> yeah, cool. I wanted something a little bit more from that. So I don't, I don't know, like maybe a, a, a future Kaladesh could deliver exactly what I'm looking for. Uh, I think that would be cool. I, don't know, I guess there's nothing really in the traditional JRPG space either, where it's like they some of them lean a little bit more into uh, like cyberpunky aspects, where it's just like you know we have this ridiculous technology and airships and stuff like that, and yeah, Magic hasn't really tried to do that. It's just like traditional fantasy, but not necessarily JRPG. Yeah, I see what you're saying. So I don't know, that could be like a solid in-between for them if they want to try their sure. hand at creating a Final Fantasy type of thing. But yep. uh, Blackout 28, if you could make a new format from X period of time, what would it be? Brian, what's my answer? Uh, it would be uh, old extended for you. Bang, nailed it. And I don't want any more formats. I'm good on formats <laughs> right now. Uh, yeah, that's a good answer. Uh, to Nappiness again. Who is Jerry's main on Genshin Impact? Uh, I'll take this question. Actually, Jerry's main. No, I, I have no idea. Sorry. Uh, it was it was Hu Tao for a long time. Kaza is, is the funnest character of all time. There you and go. And that's not subjective. He just is. Andrew W., what's the coolest deck you've ever seen? Not the best, the coolest. I feel like there's a good answer for this, but I don't I don't know it. Grixis Counterbalance that I built. It was such a cool deck. It's horrible. It was so cool. Is this the painter deck? Yeah. Oh man. It was so cool. It was uh what was what's the precursor to the Goblin Engineer? Goblin Welder. I'm blanking on it. Goblin Welder. Goblin Welder, Sensei's Divining Tap, Counterbalance, Painter Servant, Grindstone, uh probably a trinket mage in there somewhere. I, I don't remember the exact list. It was so cool though, and not very good. Cool to me would be like a deck with a plan A but with a clever plan B and maybe like a plan C, but like not something that is just like, you know, Snapcaster lightning bolt in splinter twin or whatever. Mm -hmm. uh, so I don't know. I, I feel like the block gifts on given decks were pretty cool in that regard. If you if you remove context of like this deck is kind of miserable to play against, whatever, I thought that that deck was sweet where it's like you're you're kind of ramping, you're kind of playing like this mid-range rock thing, but you also have like this endgame lock you out thing. Uh, mm -hmm. You could just beat them down with Kagamaro if like your opponent missed a land drop or something, right? Like that deck had a bunch of modes and then you had a bunch of different sideboard plans and especially late in the block format where there's like mono black aggro, mono red aggro, uh, mono blue control there's still like the the white aggro decks and you needed different cards for all those different matchups plus the mirror match 
Uh, I think that I got my list to a place where I could basically just beat everything and didn't feel like, oh, I'm really sacrificing this matchup or whatever. Uh, So I don't know. The, The games were just fun to play because you had to switch gears like multiple times over the course of a game, which was nice. Yeah, that's a good answer. So maybe not the coolest, but like intricate uh, appeals to my sensibilities type of stuff. But I'm sure there's like cool weirdo combo deck type of things, whatever. Ah, Coolest has a lot of room for interpretation. I I think when you have a really like loosely defined phrase that you're asked to answer for, you're supposed to go with your first instinct. So, yeah, but in this is kind of loaded, right? Where I don't think that Andrew is talking about like, I don't know micromanaging a bunch of nonsense and that being cool while well, andrew's not the one answering the question jerry you are that's fair amberic what is a deck you always try to mer- make work but have fallen short uh, besides niv magus elemental or is there something else that i'm supposed to answer here? yo that that deck may not have worked at that pro tour but it fell short but it has seen play since then uh and, it, and i mean kind of and I don't know. I feel like this is a question where it's like you try and make it work, but it falls short. You realize that so you don't play it in the tournament. In this instance, we kind of realize that still played it in the tournament. Yeah, that's probably the misstep there. Uh, what is a deck you always try to make work, but have fallen short? I, I don't know if there's like a. I mean, like for a while it was Winota in standard, but uh, that's that's good now. So I, I had nothing to do with it, but I spent a lot of time like trying to make Winota work before the good pieces actually arrived. So maybe that's a decent answer. I think uh, during Eldraine, um, before I eventually just gave up, uh, it was just like every new set. I'm like, okay, does Emery work in standard? Mm. You know, like that that sort of stuff. Where I'm just like, all right, I tried again. Maybe a deck list shows up in an article, uh, but then it, just nothing happens with it. Yeah, even even historic, I feel like I've also done the same thing with Emery a few times now. Well, Paradox Engine. Right, but that I would say that fell short. I mean, certainly there was outside influence on that, but... I mean, it was really good for a couple of weeks, I think. So, maybe. So it's not... It, maybe Euro was just really good. Yeah, that's fair. Uh, I just, I don't think that that qualifies as falling short if like people are playing in tournaments and doing well, you know? Okay. Yeah, it's it's normally like a single card that I get attached to you where it's like, oh, this is clearly powerful. There are some pieces surrounding it. And then you go to build the deck and you're like, I'm 10 cards short. Yeah. Uh, so then you like try and fill in those 10 cards and it doesn't exactly work. But then a new set comes out, you get to like upgrade a few of your cards. And it's like, oh, still short. And like, that no, just I, keeps I guess happening. Plum the Forbidden is a good recent example. Yeah, no, that's a good one, too. Uh, <laughs> Firemind 12. Not sure if I missed the cutoff for questions. Uh, nope, spoiler, no, you have not. But have either of you cooked anything new slash found a new recipe that you like? I think, not positive. I'm pretty sure in the traditional sense, I've done zero cooking it, since the pandemic. Um... Well, but you've had a, a pretty dramatic change in your your eating habits. I, I think that's worth talking about in terms of finding new recipes. Uh, yes and no. So I've I've told two people this. Okay, so is it not? It's not shareable information. Well, I just, it's it's one of those things where like I just don't want to bring it up if okay. it's not going to hold. I I brought it up. I so I know you did. Uh, so basically, I have 
I have not even told my girlfriend this. I have not eaten meat in a month. I think that's really cool. So uh, environmental reasons, concern for animals and their, their safety and well-being and everything. Those those things matter to me overall, like, you know, one person switching. Obviously not a big deal, but, you know, whatever. Why, if I can do it, why not? And so I'm trying it. And I think a month is like a pretty sizable time now to be like, I, I think this is working. But at the same time, I know that, you know, if I ever start like traveling or like I'm eating at someone's house or whatever, it's like, I am not going to be the person. I've never been the person who has been like, you know, we have to eat dictate based on my preferences. Never. I will go out to dinner with people if they're going to a place that I don't like and I'll just get food on the way home or whatever. Like, I, I do not want to inconvenience anyone. So uh, I, I do not want to say that I, you know, hope to be like strictly vegetarian or whatever, but I'm definitely cutting my intake. I, I think that's really cool. I think we all, uh, you know, find levels of commitment. And I think we all have flaws with our level of commitment. I, I wish I did more to make animals safe and happy. And, you know, I... I'm not vegan. I'm only a vegetarian. So I certainly have my own failings and I could do more, but you should be proud of the things you do do in furtherance of those goals. So uh, I'm pleased that you've decided to give that a shot. I'm glad it's mostly working for you. I think one of the cool things about being a vegetarian is that, you know, in terms of inconveniencing people, I never feel like I'm in that spot because there's always something to eat. And even if it's just like not a very nutritious thing to eat, there's always something. You just get a pasta dish or, you know, French fries if you're at a burger place. And uh, there, there's always a solution, I find. Um, but you'll have to find your own way and figure out what works for you. In terms of what I've done differently, uh, I've learned a lot about Asian cooking uh, and really up my game in that area. I have been watching... Will Young on YouTube, his, his YouTube channel is Young Man Cooking. He's actually uh, a vegan cook who cooks with a lot of Asian influence and learned a lot from him and a bunch of other places as well. So that's been the main focus, but no specific recipe, just like rounding out my understanding of how to put together uh, Asian dis dishes and how to like balance the sauces and things like that. Nice. Yeah, that, that's one of the things where like I could usually follow a recipe and have it turn out fine, but I can't be like, oh, I want to make this. So I'll use like this part of knowledge that I have and this part of knowledge and this part of knowledge. And like, you can just do it on your own. I, I never got to that point. Yeah, I, I only recently have. And I think a lot of it is just like following a bunch of recipes until you're like, oh, okay, yeah. they're doing this, this and this. And then there's some YouTube creators that do a really great job of breaking down like why they do this in a recipe. And that's what's really uh, moved my understanding forward for sure. Nice. Uh, finally, Bryce M., What's a sweet deck or card in pre-modern that people might not know about? I think the format of pre-modern is a thing that people do not know about. My exact answer. You stole it from me. I can't answer this question. I, I don't know. What, I, like People have asked me this pre-modern stuff a couple times now here on the show. I still don't know what it is. So until it's widely distributed and it's something we can share as a community, uh, I will not be taking any pre-modern questions at this time. I remember looking at the decks and thinking that they were all, well, not all, but a lot of them were just like, what the hell is going on? These are not build optimal, but yeah, whatever. 
people are having as fun. Soon, I don't care. As soon as that first pre-modern tournament shows up, you and I are, are going to show up and break it. I don't know. Maybe we'll see. <laughs> as long as we can do so anonymously. Yeah. If it's anonymous on Magic Online or Arena or whatever, I'm in. Let's go. Love it. Perfect. Kick some ass. People will be like, wow, what just happened? And then they'll find out it was me. No, they won't. That's the beauty of it. Well, if, 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 I, the if I win the tournament, then maybe they'll find out. You know, that just inevitably happens. Oh, so you're saying you, you haven't won any tournaments in this time since you've been I said, playing anonymously? I said maybe. Okay. I've certainly 5 would a lot of leagues. I've not outright won any challenges. I will say that. Okay. Oh, detectives, you have your, your first lead. Dude, don't encourage them, man. <laughs> you know what I'm doing now is I'm moving cards onto... Uh, the, the card, the, the account that's linked to the card hoarder account, right? And then mm-hmm. I'm trading them to another account. <laughs> I do that too. It's, it's garbage, man. Don't encourage them. Okay. Nobody look for Jerry. Just let him go. Game. Let him, let him fade into the night. Game. Good luck.